Thanksgiving Day 1944 fell during some of the hardest fighting of World War II. 29-year-old soldier Andrew K. Tellman of Canton was in the middle of it. After weeks of tough fighting around the German-occupied city of Metz, he was thankful to be alive. On Thanksgiving night, he wrote a quick letter to his brother Daniel, who was nicknamed Jumbo. Hello, Jumbo. Just a few lines to let you know that I'm still among the present. Haven't written you a letter for quite a while because the time was so limited that about all that I could do was get a letter off to Mom and Lib. Knowing that they worry so much as they do, I felt that was the thing to do. Then too, I imagine that you usually get Mom's letters before they're thrown away. We've just finished cleaning Mets out. That damn place has never been taken before. It wasn't at all what I expected it to be. It was the last letter Tellman would write to his brother. Welcome to Tales from the Rep Morgue, the podcast that explores the Canton Repository's 200-year-old archive. I'm your host, Shane Hoover. Part 1. The Name on the Stone Sometimes we don't see the history in front of our faces until we stop to ask questions. That's how I stumbled across Tellman's story a dozen years ago while covering the courthouse beat. One of the bailiffs at the Stark County Courthouse, Peggy Cady, used to whack a gavel on a stone block to bring the courtroom to order. I never thought much about it, until I noticed the faded metal plate that dedicated the stone to the memory of Technical Sergeant Andrew K. Tellman, a former bailiff who was killed during World War II. But around the courthouse, neither Katie nor anyone else knew who Tellman was beyond the name on the stone. Answering that question uncovered a local family's story of love and loss during the Second World War. If you made a movie about Andy Tellman, you'd probably cast John C. Riley, or if you're from another generation, Carl Malden, in the leading role. Andy was stocky and sturdy. He was no matinee idol, but he had a kind, friendly face. He was born in 1915, the son of German-speaking immigrants from Transylvania, and grew up in an ethnic neighborhood on St. Elmo Avenue Northeast. Andy's mother, like many immigrant women, cleaned houses. His father worked as a laborer. Andy had bigger aspirations. After graduating from McKinley High School, he went to Kent State with plans to become a lawyer. That's where he met Elizabeth Myers, who was studying to be a teacher. He called her Lib. They married on November 29, 1941, at Trinity Lutheran Church in a big ceremony surrounded by friends and family. Eight days later, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. The country had started drafting men the year before, but Andy was protected for a time. He ran a welding machine at Republic Stamping and Enameling while taking classes at the McKinley School of Law. Andy became the bailiff for Common Pleas Judge Frank Schweitzer at the start of 1942. The Army drafted Andy seven months later. The family held a farewell dinner at the Oriole Club. Everyone posed for pictures. 
Judge Schweitzer saw Andy off at the train station. Part 2, when we come back. Part 2. I've been damn lucky. From the plains of the Middle West they came. Soldiers whose new job was to learn how to kill the enemy, to learn how to keep from being killed. Those words come from a booklet about Andy's unit, the 95th Infantry Division. Andy joined the 95th, or Victory Division, at Camp Swift in Texas. From there, he traveled to other camps, where he trained to lob three-pound shells with a mortar and rose through the ranks from private to sergeant. After two years of training, Andy sailed from Boston for Liverpool in August 1944, then crossed the English Channel to join General George S. Patton's Third Army in France. Patton's troops were fighting the Germans for the French city of Metz. A ring of 43 forts and bunkers protected the city. Rain had flooded low-lying areas. The Americans were bogged down. As Andy waited for a transfer to the front line in October, he wrote a final letter to Lib, to be sent with his belongings if he were killed. In spite of its training, his unit, Company L of the 377th Infantry Regiment, seemed weak. The men knew they might not survive the coming battle. I think mostly along the line of being wounded rather than a fatal casualty. It's probably just wishful thinking. He apologized in advance if he couldn't send a telegram on their coming anniversary and asked Lib to think about him on that day. Since they had married, they had spent more time apart than together, but Andy assured his wife he had been faithful. It's been worth it and I hope that that will be of some little comfort to you. More than 50,000 Americans were killed or wounded around Metz in less than four months. Andy and his mortar squad had been fighting for several weeks when he wrote to his brother Daniel on Thanksgiving, November 23rd. We've done field fighting and city fighting. It's a hell of a mess to see your buddies go down. So far, I've been damn lucky. Hope that the good Lord stays by me and gets me and the platoon through. A lot of the guys that you met at Swift have been killed and wounded. Andy complained that the Germans didn't fight fair. The sons of bitches take advantage of Red Cross flags and white flags and every trick of crooked play that you can think of. The boys are taking care of the bastards. I've told Mom and Lib that we haven't been in combat because I didn't want them to worry. They'll probably suspect it before long, though. Andy promised his brother he'd try to write as often as possible. Three days later, on November 26, 1944, a shell hit near Andy's foxhole in the French village six miles from the German border. He was taken to a hospital where he died from his wounds on December 3rd. Part 3, when we come back. Part 3. Andy's scrapbooks. On March 31, 1945, the Stark County Bar Association and Common Pleas Court paid tribute to Andy and dedicated the gavel stone. The court's presiding judge made a short speech. That his hopes and desires of the future should so end in heroic death can but bring to us a contrite heart. 
May we all be worthy of this great sacrifice. We are sympathetic to those for whom the loss has caused a heavy and burdened heart. May our acts here grant to them some measure of relief and solace. More than 600 soldiers from Stark County died in World War II, a number that doesn't include sailors or Marines. When the conflict ended, many families had their loved ones' remains brought home. Andy's body returned to Canton on September 7, 1948, almost four years after his death. His was one of 18 bodies returned to the Canton area on the same Army transport ship. Andy's family held services at their St. Elmo Avenue home and at the First Lutheran Church. The American Legion provided a burial team for a military ceremony at Forest Hill Cemetery. Andy's father had died of cancer a few weeks before the funeral. His mother struggled emotionally. Lib and Andy's brother Daniel were married and had a daughter, the first of three. One of the daughters, Lori Skelly, told me that her grandmother had pushed Lib and Daniel together. The brothers were opposites. Andy had been outgoing yet serious-minded and academic. Daniel, who was a few years younger, was blue-collar, a prankster who rode a motorcycle, the kind of guy who would say, hey, how you doing? Let's go have a beer. Lori said she never saw her parents hug or kiss or hold hands. They grew apart over the years. Daniel died in 1977. He's buried at Forest Hill between Andy and Lib. During the war, Lib had saved mementos of Andy in scrapbooks. His sergeant stripes, telegrams, pictures and newspaper clippings, petals from the roses he sent on their first anniversary. They were the memories she kept closest to her before she died in 1997. I want Andy's scrapbooks, she told Lori. Go up in the attic. Lori said it broke her heart to watch her mother look at the scrapbooks and remember Andy. After Lib died, Lori did her best to preserve Andy's memory, including the scrapbooks and the 48-star flag given to the family when he was killed. But she wished she had asked her mother more about Uncle Andy, a man who is more than a name on a stone. Thanks for listening to the Rep Morgue Podcast. As special thanks to our voice talent for this episode, Josh Weir and Robert Wang. Our theme music for this episode was Blind by Midon. You can check out the show notes and listen to other podcasts at cantonrep.com. <laughs>